please uh, join me in the reading of God's word. And we will go to uh, Matthew chapter 6. One of my worst fears is uh, just occurred this evening. <laughs> and, uh, I just, I, uh, that and leaving my manuscript at home. So, but uh, I'm thankful to be here uh, this evening, safe and sound, uh, despite that I had a rush here. So. But before we read this passage of scripture, please join me um, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you uh, once more that you have ordained uh, this time. You have also ordained the preaching of your word for your glory and for our edification. I pray, dear Lord, that you may apply these truths uh, to our hearts uh, this evening and help us to meditate on your word. That we may be able to walk in your will. And we can only do this by your grace through the sovereign work of your Holy Spirit. For it is in Christ's name I pray. Amen. This is God's very own word. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room And shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the word of the Lord. 
This evening is the uh, first uh, sermon I intend to do a series on the uh, Lord's uh, Prayer. And um, in recent years, there have been many uh, volumes uh, written on prayer and uh, uh, alongside what is what is called uh, the new spirituality as well, which is a mixture of uh, secularism and um, really Eastern um, uh, worldviews. But before we um, delve into the Lord's uh, prayer, it's uh, vital that we take a look at the uh, preliminaries uh, which appear in these beginning uh, verses. The beginning portion of the chapter we're considering uh, constitutes the middle portion of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in this passage, we find Christ uh, developing an extremely uh, significant spiritual truth that is at the core of the nature of the nature or purpose of prayer. He does this by mentioning in these verses uh, two of the three Jewish pillars of Jewish piety. Uh, the first one being uh, good works or charitable works or almsgiving, as in some versions um, uh, in English uh, is written. Uh, if you look at verses four of one to four, it covers that first uh, pillar of the three uh, Jewish pillars of Jewish piety. But also, uh, the second pillar is, is prayer. The second pillar of, of Jewish piety is prayer. And this is covered in verses 5 to 15. But later on, the Lord continues on this theme of Jewish piety, and uh, the third one has to do with fasting, which is uh, verses 16 to 18. But the first thing I would like to call your attention to is the, is the kind of language uh, being used in the first four verses. Please uh, read with me. Uh, before, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, notice the uh, almsgiving here, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your father may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And look at the interplay between vision here in these uh, particular verses. Um, those uh, who, um, in the Jewish community, uh, who were uh, who tended to practice their piety in this fashion, that they wanted to be seen by others. And also, notice that, this, that the Lord calls them hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites. And these two uh, words in, in the Greek um, is where we get really the words uh, theater and, of course, uh, the word hypocrite, uh, hypocrisis, um, 
And these words are used in, 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 in the context of drama or, or, or theater. And this is the language that our Lord is employing um, in these uh, particular uh, verses. So he's, he's warning, he's, he's providing a, a warning against contrived posturing. He's providing a warning about uh, histrionics when it comes to doing good works. And apparently this is what was going on. What Christ was observing among his uh, fellow uh, uh, Jewish uh, comrades. He was noticing that um, they were engaging in this sort of staging. Self, uh, a staging of self-promotion, if you notice in these uh, verses. They were not really interested in um, really doing good works for God's glory, but they were interested more in self-promotion, uh, it, it appears here. And in the same way, uh, this is important because this undergirds um, our understanding of the core of the Lord's prayer. And what, what, what do I mean by this? What do I mean by this? Well, the, the question becomes, why do we pray? Why do we pray? What is the, the purpose or end game of prayer? But we notice here that Christ has really given us uh, in verse, in, in, in the verse that, that begins the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Reminding them, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Again, he repeats this theme about being seen by others. The desire, the desire to seek human approval. The desire, really, to display their own piety. Look at me. I am very righteous. I am very good. And he continues, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. As the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Why do we pray if he already knows what we're going to ask him? What is the end game of prayer? He continues in verse 9, but pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Why do we pray? What is the purpose? Purpose is the priority. It's to, Christ is trying to teach them, this is the priority of prayer. 
This is the end game of prayer. John MacArthur puts it this way. Prayer begins and ends not with the needs of man, but with the glory of God. It should be concerned primarily with who God is. The doctrine of God, right? What he wants and how he can be glorified. This is the end game of prayer. And prayer has been identified and illustrated by the opening phrase, Our Father who art in heaven. We notice that there's a particular structure to the Lord's prayer. And this structure points to the priority of prayer. Notice, this is the preface of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. In addition, the first three petitions are centered around God. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. It indicates the priority of prayer. Or, 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 or in other words, what I'm trying to communicate is really... That prayer, as MacArthur says, begins and ends not with the needs of man, but with the glory of God. Prayer is about the glory of God. Embracing this truth has been a significant challenge in current evangelicalism because the main question has become, does prayer make any difference? Has God lived up to his end of the deal? Does God answer his prayer? In other words, the presupposition here is that the end game of prayer is to have God answer my specific requests and desires at any given moment and when I bring these requests to him. That is to say, The centrality of prayer for most evangelicals today is not the glory of God. It is not the overriding concern to give glory to God. This is not to say that God does not answer prayers, of course. But this is not at the core of the purpose of prayer. We should embrace the truth of the priority of prayer because it is for God's glory as instructed by Christ. Our Father who art in heaven. The genuine pathway to intimacy Genuine pathway to intimacy is another point of the Lord's prayer. Notice, our Father. Notice the expression, our Father, who art in heaven. That is to say that that the Lord's prayer is evangelical. That is to say that the Lord's prayer is evangelical. And provides us the genuine path.
pathway to intimacy with the Lord that provides us the genuine communion, a pathway to communion to God. The language here is our Father. We have been, we have heard uh, over the last few Sundays about the doctrine of imminence and transcendence. And and in this portion of the Lord's Prayer, in this portion of the preface of the Lord's Prayer, our Father points to God's imminence. Points to God's imminence. But it points to God's imminence in a very unique, very unique way. Most people have observed that in different religions, their prayers do not have or they lack this preface. They don't pray to their guys as our Father. The uniqueness of the Lord's Prayer is evangelical. It points us to what God has done for us in Christ. Paul mentions this in Romans chapter 8, doesn't he? Where he talks about that we have been adopted and we have, been, we have received the spirit of adoption because of the life of Christ, because of his death, because of his resurrection for our sins. And God has ordained, as I have mentioned earlier in my prayer, God has ordained the preaching of this gospel, of the good news. And by word and by spirit and by his sovereign grace, salvation comes to us in the person of Christ and in his works of salvation for us. And through that, something unique occurs. God adopts us as his children. It speaks to his imminence that God is near to us. He sends, in conjunction with Christ, the Holy Spirit into our hearts that allows our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father. We have been adopted. And this is unique among the religions of the world. There is no religion in the world that begins their prayer in this fashion. The concept of being adopted by their God. The prayer is evangelical. The prayer points to the imminence of God. But there is a danger here that we need to avoid. And that is the danger of sentimentality. That is a a soul emphasis on the eminence of God in our lives at the cost of biblical truth. This is a struggle, an ongoing struggle that we face in different areas of our lives, especially in worship. That is to say that Most worship today is really driven by 
an overriding concern of involving our emotions. See? And our worship is mostly driven by fulfilling our emotions and elevating our emotions at the expense of biblical truth. And this is the danger of sentimentality. It places apart the truth of God. It separates the truth of God concerning worship, concerning prayer. In other words, really, another way we can see this is that really sentimentality is a challenge because it compromises the regulative principle of worship. What do I mean by that? The Lord here has given us the instructions and how to approach God in prayer. Just as he has given us, and the Lord has given us in the Old Testament, how to approach him in worship, God is the one who determines how he must be approached in worship. But the danger of sentimentality is that it compromises the regulative principle of worship. But we see that the Lord does not end at our Father. He continues to say, who art in heaven. Who art in heaven. That is to say that God's imminence is tempered by the reference to God's transcendence. By the phrase, who art in heaven. It is pointing away from us and is is directing our attention and our priority in prayer to God himself. You see, this is the first step in prayer, is to focus on God, to focus on him primarily so that we can bring him glory so that we can know what his will is. How we can please him. And we see this in the life of Christ himself. We see this in, in the prayers of Christ. Another point that could be made about the Lord's Prayer is that it, it really provides us as a pattern to understand the other prayers and scriptures. It helps us to understand all the other prayers and scriptures. Our Father who art in heaven. Also, the Lord points us to God's holiness. He tells us to pray in this manner, hallowed be thy name. And it's important to point out at this point that what the Lord Christ is teaching us is not to repeat the specific words that he's using in the Lord's Prayer, you see. But he's given us the, these words as a pattern or as a guide to prayer. That's why it says here, pray then like this, in this manner. 
In verse 9, pray in this manner. This is the guidelines that I have given you. And, and, and Matthew points out that, and he, he records the Lord's praying in chapter 14, 13, and 14. Not using these particular words. Exact words. No, that's not the point of the Lord's Prayer. The point of the Lord's Prayer is to give us guidelines in prayer. And we see him, and we see Christ employing this particular guideline. When he tells us, and he instructs us here, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. This is the first petition that he brings to mind. An important question is always raised at this point in the Lord's Prayer. How is it possible that we can hallow his name? In light of the fact that he's, he's already holy. In light of the fact that you cannot increase his holiness. And some observers have asked this question concerning how, how can we hallow his name? What, what does it mean to hallow? Uh, how, do we, how do we sanctify God's name? In this passage, it's re, re, regarding, uh, it's pointing us to God's uh, holiness, to his moral, uh, not only his moral uh, purity, but it is also referring to his uh, separateness from his creation. He transcends uh, creation. He is holy in that sense, but he's also holy in, in the sense of moral uh, purity. So how do we hallow his name? One way to do it is that we come to understand that his name is sacred. His name is to be honored. His name is to be respected. His name is to be lifted up above all other names. And we do so by defending the sanctity of his name. That is one way we hollow his name, how we sanctify his name. We elevate his name above all names, and we defend the sacredness of that name. And it is because in his name, in the Old Testament, it teaches us that his name is holy. His name is holy. But how do we live that out in addition? Besides defending his name among our neighbors, among our friends, among those even who profane his name. And we run into that a lot in our society. May people take his name in vain. They profane his name. But we as God's people who have been set apart for God's glory, we have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
We are to live up to this family name. We bear his name. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 6, Isaiah is describing how God is gathering the elect from the four corners of the world. And in verse 6, in that chapter 43, Isaiah writes, and God is speaking here, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name. Everyone who is called by my name. Whom I created for my glory. Whom I formed and made. Christ is teaching us that God's name is holy. And we are called by his name. And we're called also to live up to that family name. We bear his name is what Isaiah is trying to get at. We bear his name. So that's another way how we can think about the Lord's Prayer and thinking about how we can uh, please God. But of course... We cannot do this apart from the, we cannot do this apart from God's grace. It is impossible. Apart from God's grace, our natural tendency is to profane His name. Our natural tendency is to promote ourselves, even in prayer. But it is by God's grace that He instructs us and guides us to lead us to the ultimate purpose of the Lord's prayers for his glorification, for his exaltation in every, in every aspect of our lives. We will further look at these uh, passages where there and look at the truths of whether God answers prayers. And, we, and like I said previously, yes, the Lord answers prayers. But the ultimate, the ultimate goal, the ultimate end game of the Lord's prayer is to bring him glory due to his name, due to his holy name. Do you struggle in defending his name among your family members, among your neighbors, among your coworkers? I encourage you to embrace the priority of prayer. Think about God's glory. Think about lifting up his glory. Do we struggle in our own personal lives to live up to this family name that we bear? With thanks be to the Lord, he has given us Christ. Thanks be to the Lord that he has given us Christ. 
The death of Christ empowers us. The death of Christ, the, the grace of God empowers us to fulfill and to live and to uphold and to practice the discipline of prayer. We thank God for his word in this evening. May the Lord bless you.